0: Hey everybody, if you are listening to this before you hear episode number 104, then just a heads up that this is an addendum to that episode. This was of sufficient quantity, can't attest to its quality, that we split it off to become episode number 105. The main episode, number 104, contains the bulk of our discussion on meditation. This addendum features Austin and me sharing some of our personal experiences with meditation, but it's primarily me sharing my experience of a 10 day silent meditation retreat, if interested. And while here, I'm going to take a moment to slip in a few things I didn't mention in the mass of verbiage to come. The first is that perhaps one of the essential gifts of meditation is that of learning to release resistance to what is, to life as it is. Much, if not all, of our misunderstanding and suffering is a byproduct of this core resistance. Indeed, I think that one could see the existence of the separate self as a sort of contraction against eternity. Secondly, in the upcoming sharing, I didn't highlight something else that I absolutely loved about the retreat. Sharing communal space with so many other people in silence. It is incredible how richly textured and intimate the environment and sense of connections can become without needing to speak a single word to one another, nor to make an idiot of oneself in so doing. I didn't know any of these men, but I loved them all in silence. Thirdly, I totally failed to mention the meditation cell in the Burmese-style pagoda, and how like Christmas that was, and the silver fleck experience I had while in there, the second of my life. More is available in my journal, spiritcomplex.com, in case your head had not already exploded from this addendum episode. Okay, so um, I'm calling this section an addendum, as if to say it is being tacked on to what is the main portion of the, con- of the podcast. And uh, that is where we share our personal experiences uh, with meditation, This will be, uh, Austin will have, of course, a richness of uh, material to share here, but I will be uh, rambling on a little bit longer because of sharing my meditation retreat last year. So to help make it a little bit more dynamic, um, I'll share first just about my daily experience and then bounce it over to Austin and say that uh, my daily experience, I I don't feel is too interesting or sexy to share uh, really, I aim uh, every morning to meditate. Does that happen every morning? <laughs> it depends on how busy and tired I am. Meditation can be sacrificed on the altar of um, busyness and fatigue, not infrequently, but uh, probably two thirds of the year, at ballpark, I'm meditating every morning, and I aim for thirty minutes. And my mind. Due to the roar, the rushing roar of the river of busyness every day is conditioned to be unsettled and to be constantly on this topic and the next and the next and the next. Uh, So my 30 minutes are seldom some kind of sinking into an easy peace or abiding. Uh, And My mind, not to say that it's wild in meditation, it can start to calm down a little bit, but um, seldom in my daily experience do I have any taste of uh, stabilized attention and clarity in awareness. It's usually very soon that the attention is taken away and I'm bringing it back. And uh, I definitely don't change states in meditation. I don't go from, you know, alpha to theta, uh, et cetera. I'm just very hardwired, normal waking, thinking, mind awareness. And the practice for me is an infinite attempt to reclaim the attention and gently bring it back to focus on my breath. And that's pretty much it. It's kind of, in a way, a mechanical action but um I do feel it's a great benefit and I am um, endlessly devoted to the practice and I want to add here too um there's rightfully so a lot of respect for Carla and Jim in particular given, you know, the gifts that they've given the world and the spiritual wisdom and maturity that they have demonstrated. But Carla would be the first to tell you she was not what she would call a good meditator. Her her own mind was uh, boisterous in meditation, despite like daily even, or multiple times in a day uh, attempts at meditation for decades on Carla's behalf. And <laughs> Jim now uh, loves to meditate and um, has retired less busy, but still service-oriented and committed state. And um, however, in his busier days, particularly when he was running Jim's lawn service, he will uh, own with some humor and regret now how during his meditations alongside Carla, he would use the time to plan his day (laughs) for his his lawn service, so... (laughs) just a couple anecdotes to help for the the person really intent on meditation to help ease some pressure if it's of, of any help. So, um, Austin, what's your experience of meditation?
1: Well, I'll probably make you feel a bit self-conscious because a very short, <laughs> um, contribution here. Um, my I do have a daily practice that I would say it gets disrupted when like there's like a unique thing happening in my life like if I'm on a trip or something and I'm not in my normal habit. But when I am in my normal habit, um, it is most days, at least, you know, six days a week. I think there might be some days where I'm busy in the evening time when I would typically be meditating, but I find the time 15 to 30 minutes uh, a day in the evening. And my method is uh, similar to how you were describing, Gary, uh, primarily a focus on the breath. I do that in different ways, but the primary way that I'll do it is uh, counting the breath Up to 10. And it's counting both an inhale and an exhale. So you do inhale one, exhale two, inhale three, exhale four, and just do that up to 10. And when I get to 10, start over. And that counting is primarily just a way to help keep the focus on the breath, you know, kind of keeps the mind occupied in relation to the breath so it doesn't wander. But of course, you know, I'll find. Uh, you know, I will have lost count. I'll be thinking about something else. I don't know how long I was thinking about something else and just gently kind of uh, bring my awareness back to the breath. Um, I've gotten pretty good about not scolding myself and being very gentle with my awareness and when I find myself wandering. And that is my daily routine that I've had for many years now. When I first started meditating, I talked about it earlier in the podcast. Um my routine was very different especially i was very kind of enamored and attempting to seek uh different states of consciousness and very sort of obsessively chasing something uh that i thought might be had through meditation and especially after i discovered you know how rapidly it was changing the way i related to my emotions and my anxiety um i would sometimes meditate up to like 4 hours a day i would eagerly like <laughs> wow race home from work and like make a big cup of green tea and put on um a soothing sort of drum track in the background just like a constant steady beat um sort of like native american drums and when concentrate <laughs> yeah and sit there in a dark room in a, a relatively comfortable chair for 4 hours and sort of explore my mind explore where my mind could go um and that was a very, uh, you know, valuable experience for me. And I uh, had a lot of really interesting experiences, but developed a much more uh, mundane, <laughs> boring relationship with meditation over the years where, um, it is a regular part of my daily practice, but it is definitely not as intense. And it is, you know, I think relatively minor 15 to 30 minutes a day is what I meditate. And, uh, it is, I don't. At the moment, anyways, I'm not seeking anything beyond that. I feel like it has become, uh, it has settled where it is supposed to be in my life as I live mm-hmm. my life at this moment. So uh, that's really the extent of my personal experience. So next time around you, if I put on a drum track, will you just slip into an altered state and your eyes will roll <laughs> back into your head? And... <laughs> It's possible, yeah, it has to be the right drum track. I was back then there was like this website where you could generate like meditation aid tracks, and that was one of them and i have uh, learned that like the steady drum beat really helped to slip into like deeper states of consciousness, and it's not like when I say drum track, I'm not talking about, like rock and roll drums or anything like that. It's just, like <laughs> very like faint sort of bump bum bum bump bump, stuff like that,
0: yeah, yeah. I've never um used uh music guided meditation binaural beats um for me i just i prefer it as 100% silent as i can get an and, and an external level well uh so, So um, if you are interested in hearing about my experience at a 10-day Buddhist silent meditation retreat, I'm going to dive into that now. Uh, No worries. If not, please tune out. I won't know. But um, before I underwent it, I didn't know anybody who had uh, done a 10-day. And I had had a, a, a couple, three or four days. There's a a Buddhist retreat in Western North Carolina in the mountains called Southern Dharma Retreat Center. That's really good. But i had always wanted to do something longer. At a three or four day, it feels like just as you're getting into the groove, it's over. Uh, but like I said, I didn't know anybody. So I was reading everything I could on the net, uh, testimonials and such. So, you know, maybe if you have the inclination, you can get some kind of insight from my own experience. Uh, and as I invited you to prior, Austin, please interject anytime. So, uh, the motivation to undergo a 10 day meditation retreat is probably uh, pretty evident, particularly given everything that I've said. But where was the next question? And there is this organization, and I You know, unfortunately, not sure of the name of the parent organization, but they teach Vipassana by way of Goenka, uh, Goenka's teachings. And I had mixed feelings about him and his teachings, but I'm very, let's just go to the last page for a moment of the sharing and say, uh, very grateful for my experience. And I wouldn't do one of these again in particular, but I would given the chance to do this first one over, I would definitely do it again because it was beautiful and I'm I'm grateful for what I had there. So this uh, worldwide organization that teaches Vipassana has uh, centers all over the planet. And it's, from what I understand, any center that you go to, you're going to have the same uh, basic structure and module for your your 10-day experience. And I landed on one in Central California, about an outside of Fresno, uh, called the California Vipassana Center. And I, in March 2022, I joined uh, about 120 people for a very disciplined, uh, strict and regimented 10-day retreat. I understand, I believe it's on uh, the more strict end of, of meditation. Uh, they design their schedule for about eight to ten hours of meditation per day. Uh, you spend the almost all the ten days in a uh, noble silence, which is pretty common at Buddhist retreats. so that means no verbal communication of course, uh, with the exception you can schedule an appointment with a teacher or, and no uh, no nonverbal communication too, unless of course in, in an emergency uh, so, stayed in dorms with a bunch of other men. The men and women were segregated the whole time um, and only saw each other in the big meditation hall, which was called the Dhamma Hall, D-H-A-M-M-A. It's was a big, beautiful, rectangular interior space with vaulted ceilings and timber beams and insulated from the outside sound. And on the floor was a whole grid of Zafus and Zabutons. That's those um, square pancake sort of mats on top of which sit the buckwheat-filled oblong um, cushions for your butt. Um, I'll talk about my outer experience and then get into the inner experience and then share some of the insights that I gained from this experience. So you're assigned a position on this grid, and... All of your day's meditation isn't, doesn't take place in the Dhamma hall, but all the group meditations do. So you're there with 120 other people, you know, men on one side, women on the other, in silence together on your, your same spot. And you turn in your phone, too. You're not supposed to have a journal. Don't tell anybody, but I snuck a journal in in my book bag and, and took notes. But I did turn in my phone. And uh, food was kept light. And you start out with what's called Anapana meditation. So the first three days are just prep for the Vipassana technique that you're going to learn on day four. And in Anapana meditation is very much like what Austin and I have been exploring in this podcast. Uh, we are we're instructed to keep our attention within a range around our nose, uh, basically from the tip of our nose up to the top, back to the backside of the nostrils and nowhere else, Uh, just endlessly return the attention to right there and witness the in breath and the out breath. And in so doing cultivate equanimity. And this is all training for what happens on day four, which is the learning of Vipassana. And as it's taught at this school, Vipassana involves what to me are essentially body scans. You are taught to, you know, place your attention at one end of your body. You start at your toes, say, and section by section, in a sort of topical fashion. You're not penetrating your skin per se, but you're placing your awareness on what's happening say at your toes and then moving up from there and say the top of your feet and then underneath your feet and so on and so forth until you've section by section worked your way all the way up to the top of your head and we got plenty of time to do this so for for the impatient it can be a challenge and once you reach the top then you repeat the process but going back down uh, Section by section, point by point, all you're supposed to cover your entire body. And you do this back and forth, back and forth. And what is supposed to happen is that, you know, the, the gross level mind, gross, not a value judgment, but gross as in uh, loud, amplified, uh, evident, and apparent to the senses, that which is opposite of subtle or at the other end of the spectrum of subtle. The, the gross level sensations and awareness become more and more sensitized so that you begin to feel the subtle energetic currents. So for instance, a gross level sensation might be you're feeling heat on a particular area of your skin. You're feeling um, tension there. Uh, you're feeling your, your clothes on your skin. You Whatever is registering. There's a repeated emphasis on on not evaluating what's registering, not making a story of it not assigning good or bad just acknowledging what's coming up at where you're placing your attention and through this repetition you become more sensitive to what's underneath the gross level and that is the the subtle energetic currents of the subtle energy body you know the physical body is the outermost gross Manifesting aspect of the self and underneath that is the subtle body and underneath that is a, a Body even more subtle than the previous one And so forth I tried that Vipassana technique in earnest and realized that I Needed um, That really I wasn't getting much from it so I returned to the anapana meditation defying the instructions but Nobody knew I was in my own little interior uh, world, because for me the holy grail of meditation is uh, developing one pointed concentration, so that the monkey mind can settle, so that I can cultivate the witnessing awareness and tabernacle with the creator, as it were. So that's sort of the structure in a nutshell. I won't go into the psychological experience the challenge of the first several days before um, it really started to work and so forth. This is all written down, by the way, at spiritcomplex.com. It's a journal that I launched, which chronicles my 10-day experience and has not been updated since. But in terms of my inner experience, a few really important things happened for me. My attention stabilized in a way that I've never ever experienced before and I haven't experienced since through just the time I put in and the quantity and hopefully quality of effort I invested I began to experience what I have read about for so long and that is that the monkey mind does start to settle down and the attention will rest on your chosen point, which was, for me, was watching the in-breath and out-breath on its own. And when it does, there is a a tasting of a peace. I've never known a relaxation. I've never known um, not being imprisoned by the thoughts and sensations and emotions. I I didn't have to prop my attention up or I, I, I didn't have to struggle To hold it. And there was an increasing sense of wholeness too, because the way I usually experience meditation is that uh, my energy or my attention feels too fragmented. Um, I, I can't collect it all in one place, but like as if I was a satellite dish, all my, every portion of me was coming online and Cohering into this focus and stabilizing right there. And thoughts still came and the mind still wandered, but I wasn't taken away by it. Um, Even my breathing slowed and my body eased and, and space opened up. And I began to. Experience silence in a way I never have or knew was possible, and um, this really picked up around day seven. I want to say for me, I one uh, I don't know. <laughs> I want to call it like a hack. <laughs> How to hack your meditation? <laughs> I. As you're aware, you can take your attention and place it anywhere on your body, on a thought, on a sensation. And I took my attention and I placed it on my ears. And I'm in a giant hall with 120 people. And the silence in that sort of space is not an ordinary silence. It's There's a hum to it. There's an aliveness to it because everybody else is silent. And by day four, you are instructed to enter Uh, what's it called, like adithana, I forget, whereby you spend that whole hour immobile, not moving. The first three days, there's some shifting, there's some getting comfortable, but by day four, you're instructed to remain absolutely motionless. And yes, it is possible if you're having a bathroom emergency to get up. (laughs) It was a concern of mine. It (laughs) did happen. But for the most part, everybody is, is motionless and so much so that if a stomach gurgled somewhere across the room, I could hear it. Well, even before I get to that point. So I, I placed my attention on my ears and I started like actively listening to that silence and my mind quieted correspondingly so that I had an inner silence that was matching the outer silence. And it was so profound um i felt like like in, in thinking about it in retrospect um like i was skating on or if you can picture a body of water a, a pond say that's come to rest and there's no waves there's no ripples it's just serene and still that was my experience and i felt this sort of energy or power flowing through me but i wasn't Reflecting on it really. I wasn't thinking about it. I was, it was just naked awareness. And it was an embodiment of patience to a degree I've also never known. I can be an impatient person, but in this experience, you have nowhere to go, nothing to do. There's no stimulation that your mind can grasp onto. You're just there with your body you have no schedule no agenda and it's quiet so you, you have to form a relationship with the silence and in this serenity if uh, say a stomach gurgled or there was uh, a cough it was like there was a momentary ripple on the pond and the 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 uh, the acoustic or the auditory experience of this would create a ripple that would stretch out across this pond of serenity, but then it would dissipate and return back to this stillness. And it's absolutely singular in my life. I still um, have not been able to cultivate that place again. And one more inner experience before I share uh, three or, or four insights that arose. I didn't go to the meditation with any goal to open my third eye. Like I know Rara Ra talks about opening the gateway to intelligent infinity, which happens at the indigo ray level, but I've never, at least consciously, I had thought experienced that before. And, And it's never been a goal like it doesn't seem like something you set out to achieve i'm going to open the gateway to intelligent infinity it feels just so esoteric and abstract and ethereal however much to my surprise it happened in a way that left me without doubt as to what was happening by spending time in these places of focus and listening and stillness um i had three i want to say experiences where i felt the third eye open and it was perceived on a physiological level as an intense pressure that started to like accumulate in the center as i perceived it of my brain kind of like center behind the eyes maybe front half of the brain at least as far as i could position it i don't know uh, you know the brain doesn't have nerve receptors so i don't know how this sense manifested for me and i'm not one for visions precisely nor am i much of a visual thinker I'm more of a linguistic thinker i'd say but i this very vivid and clear image arose in my mind of what looked like a white milky single drop almost being secreted in I don't know what I was seeing out of something in a sort of biological environment and I didn't that happened twice for me and I didn't analyze it at the time but um, and I still haven't fully researched it and gotten to the bottom of it, but I understand that or I connected it to the secretion that the pineal gland or makes when it is activated and the indigo ray is open. So this vision happened concomitantly with this pressure and eventually this sense of opening. And I think it was my first time where this pressure began, and it felt like uh, it it felt like stepping on the accelerator of a car almost. And part of me began to react with apprehension, like kind of if, if you've ever had a psychedelic or a, a powerful mind-altering substance, it kind of can jettison your, your consciousness uh, uh, upward. And, uh, similar to some degree to that, there was a sense that, oh shit, um, something's going to happen. Is, and th- there was something of a, a reflective thought process in this moment for me. Is the dam going to break? And am I going to be taken over by something which floods into me? And uh, will I break this silence and this stillness with 120 people around me? Like, I, I don't have the luxury of, of, <laughs> of moving. Am I going to screw this up for everybody? You know, there's that, that social anxiety that you're going to stand out and break this beautiful uh, thing. Am I going to lose my mind? But I thought there's a quote from Ra where they say, Uh, they're they're talking about the North Pole. So I'm going to insert of the North Pole of the magnetic system into this quote in brackets. This energy of the North Pole of the magnetic system is brought into being by the humble and trusting acceptance of this energy through meditation and contemplation of the self and of the creator. So we're talking about that downward spiraling light and how... They say it's brought into being by the humble and trusting acceptance. So that quote came to me and I surrendered and decided whatever the consequences may be, I'm going to not resistance, resist this. I'm going to not freak out and not through any manipulation or control on my part, but the third eye opened and I never say left the room i didn't uh, have an astral experience or, or something um i was very rooted and grounded in my body and i didn't have any splendid or beautific visions excuse me nor did i transcend the individual self in any way but i did feel a sort of light and warmth and power sort of sink down into my body and i felt expanded beingness in, in a way I never had before, and it continued um, in these couple few experiences beyond what happened on the mat, which leads me into my insights. So my taste, and it was, it was only a taste, I mean, there's, there's people who touch, as the law of one would frame it, intelligent infinity and experience, you know, transformation. Maybe even like overhauls of the personalities or the untangling of blockages. But for me, I was in a state of expanded awareness that persisted beyond my time in the meditation hall. And it didn't seem to change or reconfigure the personality In any way. Instead, it bathed that personality in a sort of all embracing awareness. And it's hard to describe, but in this expanded state of awareness, I could see what a construct the outer personality is, while also holding all of my imperfections in an unconditionally loving embrace. So I, it's, I could see my, my quirks and my neuroses are, and my conditioned behavior and everything that, I, that makes me me that I'm aware of. Um, and whether it was meeting a particular cultural standard, it was all loved and it was all okay. And it was all, I don't know, I wish I could explore the word construct more but that was really uh, coming up for me so that uh, that's one of a few insights the other was uh, falling in love with silence i had on a philosophical level i could have talked about silence before but i for the first and so far only time consciously met it in a way where i could see so to speak the, the, the truth and the intelligence and the beingness that exist where thoughts end, where there is no sound, of course, but no object, no activity, or no quality, but eternal stillness and silence. And... In that, in juxtaposition to that silence, I I could see that um, how the monkey mind is always in motion trying to comment and reflect and direct and understand, and it can do none of those things with silence, so it has to do the one thing that it least wants to do, and that's stop which was also my first experiential taste of surrender. Finally, I had a sense of, not a, not a, a total or complete sense, but of what surrender is. Um, like, the the thinking mind has to die in a sense when coming up to this silence i mean it literally has to submit to that which is superior to it and it's so, it's a sort of dying because the thinking mind with which we identify and make a self of is invested in in a prideful sense of self um Uh, Like I said, it it, it thinks it can know everything and thus tries to control and manipulate in the false belief that it is directing the show. And so it's also connected a dot to me about why Ra describes it as uh, how the adept may seek the keys to unknowing. Because when one faces and abides in this silence there it isn't a knowing as we would perceive it there's no concept per se to grasp onto there's no acquisition of information or knowledge there's I, to the contrary there's the release of that our standard mode uh, of knowing to to tabernacle with that silence and Silence became a sort of a a thing to me to try to frame it in concept. And for the first time, I felt that I had a a guru, so to speak, a teacher. Um, You know, I've I've had heroes and role models, uh, Carla and Jim among them, wise beings from whom I've learned much. But I've never felt that I had a sort of direct connection to something I wanted to submit to, so to speak. Just doesn't mean I haven't been cooperative <laughs> uh, with others or, or sought to serve them. But um, I kind of wanted to, to die to it uh, again, so to speak. And so I had this orientation over these final several days at the meditation retreat of um, quite literally looking to the silence and asking it to teach me and trusting that even without like discernible communication, that by surrendering and consciously abiding in the silence, it is teaching me. And to be its partner, I must myself be still and silent. And about to wrap this up now, um, first with a quote from Ramana Maharshi, and then um, a final thought about the source of misery. Uh, Ramana Maharshi uses the word ego in a sense that is synonymous with the individual separate self. It works perfectly for me. Uh, Ramana says, or Ramana, actually, The ego is a very powerful elephant and cannot be brought under control by anyone less than a lion, who is no other than the guru in this instance. Ramana doesn't mean an external guru per se, whose very look makes the elephant tremble and die. (laughs) We will know in due course that our glory lies where we cease to exist. The ego submits only when it recognizes the higher power. Such recognition is surrender or submission or self control. Otherwise, the ego remains stuck up like the image carved on a tower making a pretense by its strained look and posture that it is supporting the tower on its shoulders. The ego cannot exist without the power, but thinks that it acts of its own accord. That's a paragraph I highlighted long ago, but for the first time ever, I saw that. Uh, how true that was and um what it af- affected in me. Uh, how uh I, <laughs> I won't don't need to repeat everything I've already said. So I I guess I should say I what drove me to meditation, what probably drives most people to meditation in any spiritual path, is the the surface of suffering, the, the decrease and even the end of suffering the seeking of liberation, of freedom, of peace. And um, I
1: realized
0: my own noble truths early on in the retreat that uh, were to one, my mind creates misery, and two, I don't know how to stop it. Uh, my day-to-day experience is... Uh, It's challenging on an inner level, as is true for most people. But what I saw in that space of awareness without thought, what a beautiful phrase that alone is, awareness without thought. I never thought that I would taste such a thing. But what I saw in that place of awareness without thought was that the the thinking creates a pageantry of many voices and scenes within the mind as if I am remembering and anticipating and actually living in an external world in the projected scenes of my mind with all sorts of characters in there. But ultimately, there is only ever one voice in here, and that's my own And when that voice stops, so to speak, what is there to cause misery? And I'll leave it there because that was um, as true as anything I've ever known uh, in this life. If you are considering doing a long-term meditation, I would recommend it because... I don't know how to reach those places in the life we live now. Not saying it's the only way, just the way I am configured. It was profoundly helpful for me. And it's something I want to um, return to, hopefully on an annual basis. So for my final question, Austin, did you (laughs) meditate today? Uh, Nope. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) great because neither did i Uh,
1: i typically (laughs) not to just completely ignore everything you just shared i typically meditate in the evenings anyways so i have not reached the point in time in which i would meditate so
0: okay i thought it was funny because i did not meditate i haven't this whole week i mean you and i had a (laughs) three-minute meditation before the the session but right yeah so hypocritical (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but um we have reached the the end of our show today uh, that's my own mono- longest monologue if you're still with us uh, apologies Austin, do you have anything more uh
1: no i have nothing i would want to step on what you just shared with so thank you for sharing that beautifully stated um meditation in and of itself on meditation. It was uh, it was very good. Cool. Thank you. And again, uh,
0: spiritcomplex.com is a journal I launched where I shared that. Well, that looks like it's it for us. Um, thanks for joining us through this marathon session. Remember to drink your Ovaltine and meditate daily, and we will talk with you later.